About a year ago, I really felt God was telling me to take a big step of faith with where my wife and I were putting our money and what we were doing with our finances. And so we said, okay, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? How far do you want us to go? It was kind of exciting, but he was like, okay, I just want you to kind of give until I say stop and just change your attitude with giving. And so I put like a goal in my mind of 20% and we're not there yet, but the journey God's taken us on through this last year has been just something I, I, I can't stop thinking about. And so we kind of tightened in on our budget a bit and did a couple things that allowed us to have more money available. And not only did this money feel like, okay, wow, it's like, it's not ours anymore. It felt like we don't necessarily own it. We looked at a couple different tangible ways to make this a reality for us. And one of our favorite ways is to just do a child sponsorship where you can sponsor the education and medical and housing for kids overseas. And it's usually about $35 a month. And so we looked at how we could, you know, pick up a few more kids and see how we could help with that. And it's just a joy because now we've got like all these pictures on our fridge too. And then trying to see, okay, if we have organizations we believe in, if it's the church, and, and where can we just give more? The biggest thing God has taught me through all of this is to stop worrying about money. The biggest thing he's taught me is that that the money I give is not money wasted and that to have an attitude of giving is surely a, a lot more joy-filled than an attitude of worrying. I love some of you know from time to time we do stories like this of ways that God is at work at people who are right here are part of Life Bible Fellowship Church. And sometimes the, the message that we get to hear up there has nothing to do with the message. It's, it's just sort of a good story. But this morning, hearing Daniel's story does tie into the message. And in particular, what you heard Daniel say at the end when he was talking about how he and Sam were giving more generously um, and how one of the things that God has done in his life is that he's realized there is a competition between generosity and between worry. And worry is the subject that we get to talk about this morning. Some of you, for some of you, worry is the big issue that plagues your life. It's just sort of like how some people um, deal with real problems when it comes to drinking or when it comes to anger or when it comes to lust. There's some of you that worry really is your big issue. There's probably also some of you that, that would say, well, I, I worry, but not exorbitantly. And there's probably some of you that say, I don't worry at all. Uh, you're the type of person taken care of by other people who actually are worrying about things. <laughs> um, but, but if you are looking at, at your life and saying, gosh, I just really worry a lot, I want you to know you're not alone. In fact, recent surveys have shown that about 18% of the U.S. population not only deals with a lot of worry, but have diagnosed anxiety disorders. Um, that's about 40 million people in our country. And, and just think about this for a second, because I, I don't want to say this to minimize the, the people that are wrestling with this, but we are in the safest, most prosperous country, probably in the history of humanity, and we are still worried. Our anxiety clearly isn't simply based on circumstances. It, it's based on a deeper internal problem. And what we get to deal with this morning is the words of King Jesus about this subject. And we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which if you're not familiar, 
excuse me, with the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in these chapters, Jesus lays out in his longest sermon that we have recorded, he lays out what life looks like if we treat Jesus as the king. And he takes on different subjects, whether it comes to anger or money or prayer. Today, we get to talk about the subject of worry. And in, in, a, in a few minutes, we'll go through the whole passage. It's going to be Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. But I just want to put the opening statement up here for us to see. What does Jesus speak into the subject when it comes to worry? And what he says is, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. So when it comes to the subject of worry, Jesus' response is very clear. He gives us a command. And make no mistake, this is a command. This isn't Jesus just giving some good advice. His command is, do not worry. Do not worry about what? Do you see it up there? Do not worry about your life. Does this seem lofty to anyone else? Do not worry. Oh, what? But don't worry about the bomb. Don't worry about nuclear warfare. Don't worry about hunger. Just don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. This is an audacious command for Jesus to give, for him just to speak into a dangerous world. I mean, just think about this for a second. Some of you came in here worried about things, and some of you came in here not really worried at all. So for those of you who aren't worried at all, let me just real quick give you some reasons why you should be worried. (laughs) I'm dead serious. I I, I could name a whole bunch. I'm just going to give you three. Number one, and I don't know if some of you think about this frequently, we all have a certain amount of money. And for the vast majority of us, the, the the amount of money that we know we have is kept track of by a computer. That amount of money that you have, you don't actually have it. It's not in your home. It's not in your barn. There's just a computer that says, this is how much money you have. So you can say, I have $5,000. But maybe somebody's going to type in and say, you don't have $5,000. You have $0. Some of you are like, what's the number of my bank? I mean, just... (laughs) That this is a perilous, vulnerable situation that we're in with our finances. So that's something to worry about. Beyond that, just think about this for a second. Here's a second reason to worry. Um, Beyond the fact that the people who are making decisions that impact every single one of us, the, the people who are in charge of the nations and the corporations of our world, beyond the fact that they're limited, flawed human beings who aren't always going to make good decisions, there are truly evil people in the world doing evil things. And we are all in peril because of that. There really are terrorists, there really are criminals, there really are gang members, there really are serial killers. We are all vulnerable to this. It doesn't matter what country we're in or what part of the country that we're in. We all are in danger of evil acts against us. And let me give you just one more in case that's not enough. One more. Think about this. Right now, we could look at the United States and say, hey, the United States right now, as far as uh, countries in the world, we're kind of at the top of the food chain right now. Like, all right, we're, we're safe, we're very powerful, we have a very powerful military and high national security and actually a lot of economic stability. All, all that is good. We're, we're sort of the world power of our time. But if you read world history, what you will find out is that the nations that are on top don't stay on top. And I'm not making a prophecy about a certain date and time. I'm just saying this. 
we will not always be on top. We are vulnerable. If you go through your life saying, what what is with all these people? What's with 40 million people with anxiety disorders? Give me a break. Why would you be worried? There's a lot of reasons to be worried. We live in a dangerous, perilous world with disease and with, with evil and with mistakes and with danger. Why would we not be worried? It's into this world that Jesus speaks these words, do not worry. And so you might say, all right, well, Jesus commands it. That means we're supposed to do it. So I'm just not going to worry. So I'm just, I'm going to take it as a command. I'm not going to worry. And the next time that, that I'm about to worry, I'm just going to not worry. I'm just going to make the decision, do not worry. So after you make that decision, 15 seconds later, what's going to happen? Yeah, you're going to be worried again. You, you could make that decision, I'm not going to do it. And 15 seconds later, those worries would be right back there. We can't simply make a willpower decision to do this. Jesus has to give us some help. He has to give us some back. He has to give us some reasons why we would have the freedom to live in a way that we wouldn't be consumed with our worries. And he he gives us a clue right off the bat. But one of the things that Jesus says here that's going to pay off later on is that he says that worry robs us of having the right concerns. So he starts off with the command, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink or your body, what you're going to put on. Then he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So right off the bat, Jesus is saying, I I want you to see that it's not simply that I want you to live worry-free lives. It's that when you're worried, you're missing the bigger picture. Some of you may have like a favorite sweater and you're like, I love this sweater. This is my favorite sweater. And there's nothing wrong with having a favorite sweater. And nobody would look at you and say, you're a bizarre person for having a favorite sweater. But if your house was burning down and you ran back in the house to get that favorite sweater, other people would conclude that your priorities are not right. Jesus isn't saying food is bad and clothes are bad. He's saying when you're consumed with these things, you're not focused on the things that should be your priorities. That This is going to pay off at the end of the passage when Jesus brings his final point. But let me just say one more thing that will guide us through this. Jesus is going to give us a basis. He is going to give us some reasons for why we don't have to worry. And basically what he's going to tell us is that worry consumes us when we lack two things. When we lack faith and when we lack focus. As we walk through this passage in Matthew 6, in in kind of verses 26 through 30, we'll see the section where Jesus talks about what it means when we lack faith. And in verses 31 through 34, he's going to talk about what it looks like when we lose focus or when we lack focus. But like I said before, I I know that for, for all of us, this is an issue, but probably for some of you, this is a heavy issue. This is something that you came in this morning saying, I have a lot of burdens. I have a lot of things that weigh me down when it comes to anxiety. So before we even get into the rest of the passage, I want us to just pause and pray and pray for God to move in a powerful way this morning. So if you join me in prayer right now, Father, thank you that you are a strong God and that you're a compassionate God. Thank you that we can bring our deepest burdens to you. And we just confess that we are um, weak, vulnerable people who have a lot of danger in our lives and a lot of uncertainty. And so we pray that you supernaturally empower us to live lives that are not consumed by worry. 
We pray that you lead us into the freedom that would be a witness to our world of King Jesus because we live lives where anxiety is not running the show. We pray that you lead us in all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so once again, it's up on the screen. Worry consumes us when we lack faith and when we lack focus. So we'll start with faith. And, and Jesus gives us reason number one why we can take him up on his command not to worry. And reason number one is because God is your provider. So here's where he goes, starting in verse 26. After the initial command, he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And obviously birds vary in in all the different ways that they approach life. Um, But I'll tell you one thing that they all have in common. No bird has a five-year plan. (laughs) Birds are not big planners. Birds go around looking for food that they need for that day. And once they've got the food that they need for that day, they wait till tomorrow and they look for the food that they need for that day. In fact, I remember as a kid, for some reason, when when I was in elementary school, I got really into hummingbirds. I thought I was just, I must have read a, we must have had a school unit on it. I got really interested in hummingbirds and I always wanted to read books and draw pictures of them. So my mom got one of these things for our backyard where we hung up a hummingbird feeder. Now, just think about this, because we were not the only family in the area with a hummingbird feeder. These birds are just kind of lounging around saying, somebody put out food for us. If we lived that way, people would treat us as irresponsible. Birds are just kind of coasting through. Now, they got to go get the food, but they go around without a long-term plan. And Jesus says, and yet, your father still gives them food. If your heavenly father feeds the birds, isn't he going to feed you? And he uses this this argument from the lesser to the greater. If he's going to feed the birds, the less important beings, isn't he going to feed you who are much more valuable? And this isn't Jesus ripping on birds, saying birds don't matter. This is him saying, you are of deep, profound value to God. Because you know what? When the Son of God took on flesh, he didn't take on the flesh of a bird. He took on human flesh. Jesus didn't come to rescue birds. Jesus came to bring forgiveness and redemption and adoption to human beings created in the image of God. This is the center of the gospel. In fact, there's another time that Paul kind of uses this, this idea, kind of the lesser to the greater, where he says, if God didn't hold back even his own son, if God didn't say, no, you can have a lot of things for me, but not my son, if God didn't even hold back his one and only son, what is he going to hold back from us that we need from him? We can trust God as our provider. He gave us Jesus. And through Jesus, through faith in Jesus, we have adoption into the family of God. If he gave us Jesus, he's not going to hold back any good thing from us. And Jesus says, look at the birds. If God takes care of them, who are you to think he's not going to take care of you? And Jesus gives a second illustration. But before he does, he just throws this in in verse 27. He says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? sort of throws in. And by the way, in case you think worry is productive, it's not. Worry doesn't actually move the needle on this whole idea. You will live exactly as many days as God decides you will live. 
And this isn't Jesus saying that don't try to eat healthy or be wise or look both ways before crossing the street. This is just Jesus saying, you don't actually determine this. God determines this. We all know, have you ever met the person that's living into their 90s and they have like two cigarettes in their mouth and three donuts in front of them and they partied hard and you're just like, how did this happen? How did you make it this far? God decides how long we will be on this planet. It's not simple mathematics. It's God running the world. So if you're thinking, I can really move the needle on this, Jesus says, actually, you can't. If God decides today is your day, today is your day. If God decides 50 years from now is your day, 50 years from now is your day. You aren't in charge of that. But he moves on to a second illustration. He moves on from birds to talking about flowers. So he says, all right, we talked about food. Let's talk about clothes. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. They're not out sewing their own garments. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was raised like one of these, was dressed like one of these. Um, some of you know, Karina grew up in, uh, in Oregon, kind of outside Portland, Oregon. And so a couple times when we've gone up there to visit her family, we've gone to the Rose Garden in Portland and just looked. It's just, it's just amazing looking out on this, looking out on all of these beautiful flowers. And, and again, all right, so, so we moved, all right, human beings created in God's image, birds who are sentient beings, and now we're to plants. He's just sort of moving down on all of this. He says, all right, even the plants, these flowers are dressed so beautifully that even Solomon, the richest king in the history of Israel, when he was dressed up for a ceremony, never looked as ornate as these. Meghan and Harry for a royal wedding did not look as glamorous as these flowers. Which brings Jesus once again to ask that rhetorical question, if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? If he's taking care of plants, isn't he going to take care of you? And then he adds on at the end, you of little faith, which is a signal to all of us that Jesus sees worry as a faith issue. It's not that you have an anxiety problem. It's that according to Jesus, you have a faith problem. I mean, this is the deal. Think about this. If you had a job and you got paid every Friday, um, and every Friday, just like clockwork, the boss came out and gave everybody their paycheck. But you had a coworker that every single Friday started biting their nails, wringing their hands. Is he going to pay us? It's 4.30. Is he going to come out with the paychecks? Ultimately, what you would conclude is it's not that they have an anxiety problem. It's that they don't trust the employer to follow through on their promises. What Jesus is saying is it's not that you have an anxiety problem. It's that you don't trust God to provide. You have little faith. You don't trust the God that in the middle of the wilderness suddenly made bread appear for the Israelites. You don't think he's going to take care of you. You don't think that the God who made meat arrive for the Israelites so that they could have something to eat is going to be able to take care of you. And I'm just going to bet that if we actually took time, every single one of us could think back on our lives at times that we were not able to make sure that we were going to be provided for and God stepped in and did something amazing. Like I can think of several times, but 
bunch of years ago, um, Karina and I, when we were first married, we were living in, in Southern California for our first couple years, and then we were moving up to Oregon so that I could do graduate school up there. And uh, as we were getting ready to move up, we were looking for jobs that we could have up there, and both of us had really good job, like really good solid job prospects. And then like three days before we were driving up there, my job prospect fell through. Just wasn't going to happen. Um, and then when we got up there, Karina's job prospects, none of them panned out. Everything, all of our plans on this didn't come to fruition. But when we got up there, not only did God provide jobs for us, God provided us with jobs that weren't currently available when we were doing the move. He'd opened up jobs at the church that we were attending. We were not only able to work, we were able to do work that was deeply meaningful to us. Not only that, just to kind of throw in the gravy, then there was a member of the extended family that needed somebody to come and temporarily live in a house while they got ready to sell it several months later. And guess who they asked? We got jobs where God took care of us and we got a free place to live for 10 months. God, this is not difficult for God. God is not wringing his hands about this stuff. God cares deeply for you. And some of us are thinking, yeah, but, but God doesn't always provide. He doesn't always take care of us. I mean, we used to own a boat and now we don't own a boat. <laughs> God is not promising you a boat. God is not even promising that the house that you're currently in or the apartment you're currently in is what he's going to provide for you. There are times where God does things in our lives that make us pull back, that make us spend less so that we can have perspective. I'm not guaranteeing you that God is going to make you meet your mortgage payment. But Jesus is saying, he's going to give you food. He's going to give you clothing. He's going to take care of you. He cares about you so deeply. And so when you face worry, you don't just have to say, oh, worry's bad. Jesus said not to worry. Just don't worry. You need a game plan. And Jesus says, all right, part one of the game plan is that you need to cling to the fact that God is your provider. Well, one of the great verses in the Bible, in fact, when, when Paul wrote this, I, I wonder if he had this passage out in front of him. Philippians chapter four, verse six, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Another lofty command. How are you going to do that? Be anxious for nothing. How? But in all things, by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God and the God of peace will guard your hearts. Know where you go if you're saying, I'm a person who worries. So what do I do? What do I do to fight it when I have all these worries flooding my mind? First things first, you go to God in prayer. You say, I'm really worried. I'm really worried about uh, uh, my job. I'm really worried about my kid. I'm really worried about our house. I'm really worried about the economy. I'm really worried about war breaking out. I'm, I'm worried about all of these things. God's shoulders are big enough to carry all of those burdens. Bring those to him. Bring all of your anxieties to him. And some of you, if, if you want to have a game plan for worry, you might even need to go further. You might need to say, I, I need to memorize this passage right here. I, I just need to have this on the ready so that when anxiety floods in, I, I can repeat the words of Jesus and, and it can ground me. Go into this with a game plan. And game plan part one is just bring your burdens to God so that you're no longer carrying them. But here's the deal. If, if we stopped here we would be stopping short. We, we, we're only halfway there right now. Right now, if we were just to stop the message, this would be kind of Jesus giving us some self-help. 
sort of some good advice. All right, here's the deal. I don't want you to be overcome with worry, so, so I want you to be able to handle worry, and so here's how you handle worry. Remember that God takes care of you. That, that's getting us halfway there. So if all you walk away from this message with is, oh, well, God's my provider, he'll take care of me. You haven't got the full way that Jesus wants to bring us. Jesus made that comment at the beginning where he said, isn't life more than food? And isn't the body more than clothes? At this point, really, all he's guaranteed us is God will take care of the food and the clothes. There's something more at stake here. And what we're going to see now is reason number one, Jesus says, all right, worry is often a faith problem. So if you lack faith, the solution is is to remember that God is your provider. But if you lack focus, and that's why you're worried, then you need to remember that God is your prize. God is the focal point of your life. So in verse 31, Jesus goes back to the initial command. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Same basic idea. I'm calling you back not to worry about these basic ideas of life. Verse 32, for... The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus says, you know what you're acting like when you're living a life that is consumed with the anxieties about the basic elements of life? He says, you're living like a pagan. And for some of you, when you think of pagan, you're like, so I'm living like somebody who like worships the fire and wears weird things and dances around the grass. What what is he talking about? The word Jesus uses here that's translated pagans is just the nations. What Jesus is saying is, hey, all of you, you know who the God of Israel is. You know about the God who brought manna in the wilderness to the Israelites. You know about the God who created everything. And for us as Christians, we know about the God who provided the ultimate gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, why? Are you acting like the godless? Why are you acting like the people who don't know this great God who not only provides food and clothing, but who provided his one and only son? You're acting like unbelievers. You're acting like people who don't have any perspective. He says the pagans run after all these things. All the people around you who you work with who don't know God, they're the ones who are deeply consumed with these things. And Jesus throws in, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. This to me is such a comforting statement. God is not unaware of this. When we pray and bring our burdens to God, there is no new information we are giving him. It is much more about us unburdening ourselves than about God finally having the information to work with. He knows that you need all of these things. And then we get verse 33 is really the crux of this whole thing. And and many of you will be familiar with verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And then verse 34, which he finishes up with, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's sort of some parallelism here. We're all the way back in verse 27. Jesus said, who by worrying added an hour to their life? No one. He says, who by worrying about tomorrow actually fixed something about tomorrow? This harkens back to what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer when he says, give us today our daily bread. 
What Jesus encourages us to pray, and I, and I don't think it's just with financial provision or with, with food, is for us to go to, to God and say, I'm going to ask you to give me all that I need for today and nothing else. And this is something that in my prayer life, I've, I've been praying a lot lately. And I, I prayed about our food, say, all right, God, you've provided more than enough food for us. I pray that you provide for us today. And if you decide to take the whole rest of it away, we'll, we'll trust you for tomorrow. Um, then I also pray, God, give me the wisdom that I need for today. Give me the energy that I need for today. Give me the patience that I need for today. Give us what we need for what you've called us to do today. And then tomorrow we'll come back to you and ask us to give us what we need for that day. Jesus says, worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Deal with today, today. But go back. Verse 33 is really the crux of this entire passage. He's built this all up. And if we only get to the point of saying, I'm going to combat anxiety by thinking about how God takes care of me, we've only got part way there. We're still ultimately just concerned with the food and the clothing. We just know we're going to get them. But Jesus says, when all you're thinking about is the food and the clothing, you're missing the opportunity to focus on the weightier matters. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Make your ultimate pursuit in life the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Which I think Jesus is just sort of saying the same thing twice. When he says, seek first the kingdom, he's not simply saying, seek heaven or really long for Jesus to come back, even though that's great and we are called to do that. When the kingdom is spoken of, it's spoken of as a future reality, but also a present reality. That the kingdom of God is made manifest Anywhere that the citizens of the kingdom act as if Jesus is the king. So in our families and in our lives and in our church, when we act as if Jesus is the king, people see the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, he's saying, seek first the things that are most important to God. Seek the spread of the gospel to the nations. Seek to disciple your children and the people in your life group. Seek to win the battle of sin in your own life. Seek to be more generous with your possessions. And as he talked about in the passage we covered last week, store up treasures in heaven and not treasures here on earth. Make your life's pursuit about the kingdom and about God's righteousness. Look to put the righteousness of God on display in how you live. And there are times that we just get a glimpse, we get a vision of what it looks like when people really have their priorities in line and are living with the kingdom first. And about a, a month ago, Pastor Troy and I got to visit the Ilchamus people who we've raised money for, for the Bible translation. Um, Troy and I are the ones on the ends. Um, right. Now you get it. Um, the guys in the middle are the Kenyans. And uh, these guys, um, it, it, when we got to spend some time with them, one of the things that we realized is not only are they translating the Bible into a language that doesn't yet have the, the Bible, um, they're also, almost all of them are also pastoring churches. On top of that, they also have, these aren't a bunch of single guys. They have wives, they have kids, no, not wives. They each have one wife, just for clarification's sake. <laughs> um, they, they have families that they're taking care of. Any of these guys could say, you know what? Maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just be a pastor and not a Bible translator. Maybe I'll just be a Bible translator and not a pastor. If they spent some of the time that they're doing either one of these things on other matters, they could make more money. 
But they've looked at the situation and said, you know what? At the end of the day, we are all people created in God's image. And all of us is either going to end up in heaven or in hell. Every single one of us is either going to be adopted into God's family because we respond to the gospel by faith, or we're going to end up lost and condemned because we reject the gospel. And you know what? It's not impossible that somebody would come to know Jesus if they don't have the Bible in their own language. But, oh man, it's, it's so much more likely that they would respond to hearing the gospel if, if they understand it in the language of their heart. So we are going to spend our time making sure they get it because that's more important than the trivial matters of life. It may be that in this verse, the most important word is the word first. Jesus doesn't say food isn't important. Food is important. He doesn't say clothes don't matter. Clothes do matter. It matters that we have covering and shelter and food. But Jesus says, seek first. And by the way, when I was a kid and we used to sing the the song associated with this verse, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I remember at one point when I was a teenager thinking, I don't know what all these things are. What are we talking about here? Hopefully you've seen it in the context now. What are all these things? It's the food and the clothing. Jesus is saying, if you're deeply concerned about those, seek first the kingdom and God will take care of the details. Make it your first priority. And for Corinne and I, one of the ways that this worked out in our lives is that when we got married, we just decided we were making a budget and we decided right off the bat Um, we feel like God is calling us to set aside 10% of whatever we make to give to the local church. Um, And then probably some on top of that to give to missionaries or or give to other matters. But just we're we're just going to set up our lives that way. So we're not going to set up our lives to say, we'll spend our money and whatever's left over, God gets. We said, we're going to set aside the money first and then we'll make it work. We'll figure out how we make the rest of it work. That is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. It's when we don't give God the leftovers. It's when we give God what's the first thing. And as I talk about this, I hope you've heard through other messages we've given, I'm not saying right here, mandatorily, everybody has to give 10%. What I'm saying is, we don't seek first the kingdom if we're giving God the leftovers. And if you're looking at your life and saying, but we couldn't do this. Let me just say, you would do this if the stakes were big enough. If you had a kid that had a lot of medical problems and you just realized, the doctors told you, here's the deal, for, for this kid to go on living any kind of a meaningful life, they're going to need medical, they're going to need medicine that will cost you $500 a month. What you would do is you would sit down and say, well, that $500 is automatic and then we'll make it work. You wouldn't say, well, we'll buy stuff and spend our money. And if at the end of the month we have 500, bonus. And if we have 200, we'll just put 200 towards it. And sorry, Billy, but we'll $200 worth of it. You wouldn't do that. You would say, this is so important. We will make the other things revolve around this. And if this means we need a smaller house or an apartment, that's fine. If this means we, we, we can't have air conditioning or we can't have phones or, or we have to get rid of one of our cars, that's fine. It's that important. Jesus says, seek First, you worry and you're consumed with worry when you think that the basic needs of life are more important than they are. And in the end, there's not a single one of us that's going to wish that we spent more time concerned with our basic provisions. But there's going to be many of us 
that wish we spent more time concerned with eternal matters. But what Jesus tells us in this passage is that our worry is not an emotion to reject. Emotions are things that we have. You don't have a lot of control over them. Your decision is basically what you do when you have the emotion. Your decision is not the emotion itself. So he's not saying, hey, if you feel worried, you've lost the battle. If you feel worried, you've disobeyed Jesus. If you feel worried, you just feel worried. That's just a reality. Just like if you're tempted towards anger, or you're tempted towards drinking, or you're tempted towards lust, that's just, that's just what's happening. It's just a temptation. Worry is not an emotion to reject, but a temptation to fight. So if you're saying, oh, I have a lot of anxiety, I failed. No, no, no. Say, I have a lot of anxiety, I've got to decide what I'm going to do about that. And I could let that consume me, and I could decide that I've got to wring my hands, and I've got, I could decide that I need to focus all my attention on making sure I'm safe from these things that I perceive as dangers. Or I could commit these things to God. I could trust God as the provider and go to him in prayer. And I can reprioritize and seek first the kingdom so I'm remembering what really matters in the end. Don't treat anxiety as an emotion that you've just got to make sure you don't have. You will have it. Treat it as an opportunity each time the temptation comes to commit yourself to the provider and to your ultimate prize. You know, after the service, we're going to invite some of you who are really wrestling with worry right now in your life to to come up for prayer. But but we're also going to give us an opportunity for us to respond in song right now. When it comes to all these questions, when it comes to the whole issue of anxiety, ultimately what we are invited to do is to bow the knee to King Jesus, to see King Jesus as the one who provides for us and protects us, gives us hope and gives us promises and reminds us of where our eyes can really be fixed. And so we're going to get a chance to respond with our hearts to the message Jesus gives us here. And so as we get ready, let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you have not simply commanded us not to worry, but that you've given us ground to stand on so that we don't have to. You've given us an invitation to be free from the anxiety that plagues us because you are our provider. You do take care of us. And because you have bigger priorities in our lives, them for us just to get by. Father, I pray that you open our eyes to see the profound things that you want to do in us and through us. I pray that you lead us to be women and men who seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And I pray that as we crown Jesus as our king, that he not only would free us from the tyranny of anxiety, but that we would be assigned to the people around us of the freedom and the joy that King Jesus brings. In his name, amen.